0: All right. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back. This is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Daniel Poor. Today, listen, I just want to thank you guys uh, for listening in and sending us your questions. Uh, You know, again, we design our podcast episodes based off of the level of interest in a particular topic. And so we don't want to come up with our own. We want you to tell us what you're interested in. And that way we can give you uh, our take on it. So. Today we've got something that's a little interesting. Um, some of it's a little scary, but uh, and I know everyone here at listening has probably heard some story, you know, one way or the other, on uh, cosmetic surgery in another country. We like to call it uh, medical tourism. So today, what we're going to do, we're going to go over, you know, some of the issues that are related to uh, medical tourism. what to look for, what are some of the countries that most people run to. If you are going to go to one of these, uh, we'll try to give you some hints and tips on finding the right person. We'll give you all the, we'll kind of map it out for you because at the end of the day, the take home is, it's probably going to be better for you to do it here. Absolutely, and and th- this topic is is a big topic. Um,
1: medical tourism is 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 a lot more than just plastic surgery or cosmetic surgery. But w- this podcast is really going to talk only about getting cosmetic surgery um, elsewhere outside mm. of the United States. Of America, Um, and really, what you shouldn't do, what you you should look out for, and really, kind of make you really understand and somewhat educate you on um, realizing that, you know, first and foremost, surgery is something that is very serious. So remember that. And if your friend calls you and says, listen, I, I flew out to um, Panama and had this operation and it was so easy and I came back, maybe it was for her and you may be a disaster. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about really uh, the risks, what you should look out for, why you maybe shouldn't do it at all um, and take you on a little bit of a journey for the next half hour or so about um, doing cosmetic
0: surgery outside the US of A. So, why do we do it? Why why do we run to other countries and things like that? Is it because their surgery is better? Do they have better outcomes than things like that? Um, You know, cosmetic uh, surgery tourism is obviously price driven, and uh, and it's experienced increasing growth uh, over the past ten years, and. There have been num- a number of companies that offer all-inclusive vacation packages and uh, that include cosmetic surgery. They're popping up all over the world, and uh, you know they offer private hospitals and they tout highly trained or credentialed individuals. And the idea is, since uh, elective cosmetic surgery procedures aren't really covered by insurance. Price is the major selling point. So, either the entire vacation or the, uh, the vacation with surgery itself is less than what a procedure would cost here in the United States.
1: And, you know, we can comment on this because this is what we do for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, surgery is not a vacation. <laughs> Just remember that, guys. Surgery is not a vacation. People mm-hmm. fly to us from all over the world. Okay. I could say that because I did it this week. People fly to us from the country, anywhere in this country, and all over the world. Mm. We have very, very strict guidelines as what do people have to, what people have to do when they come see us, how long they have to stay here, um, and what the potential complications may be, and the fact that if someone's flying in from Dubai, for example, to have surgery in Beverly Hills, um, that we are going to follow up with them virtually but if something goes wrong, they need to have someone by them as well. Mm-hmm. And these are the kinds of things that you know we make people understand. As much as you think you're going to come to Beverly Hills and it's hot fun in the summertime, you're not going to be laying out after your rhinoplasty procedure, mm-hmm. so these are things. That, no, but but the interesting part is if you go on the websites and and where you shop for most of these medical tourism um, kind of places is on the internet. So you see that it's this incredible hospital that's located by the beach, and but you're not going to be able to enjoy it. So remember that. That's the first and foremost thing before you take think about anything else. This is surgery. It is serious stuff. You want to make sure they're credentialed, and make sure that you understand that when you go away for this place, it's not going to be a vacation. You're going to be recuperating.
0: So obviously, although there are many uh, qualified and skilled surgeons all over the world, um, you know we're going to go with what the American Society of Plastic Surgeons recommends, and in our our experience itself, I mean we've had multiple patients that we've done revisions on that have come from having surgery abroad and then come back with a complication.
1: And we'll tell you some of those stories just so you realize that they're real. Um, and, And they're very heartbreaking in a lot of ways because the person who went to another country to do it spent significantly less money, but then had to spend significantly more money to fix it.
0: You know, you have to imagine that outside of the United States, it's very difficult to assess the level of skill and and training. Um, you know, so one country's board certification definitely does not equate to what we have here. And again, there are other countries, they have a rigorous uh, training schedule. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I think that, um, you know, the quality of care, the safety Uh, that's associated is highly superior in the United States. And so, um, you know, we'll just bring you through some, uh, we want you to make the right decisions. Obviously, we know that finances are an issue and we know that sometimes uh, certain procedures can be very expensive. There's a reason why Beverly Hills is the pinnacle of uh, plastic surgery because there are, you know, it's a very competitive area. Um, A lot of people who have developed some of the procedures live here, Um, you know, and I would say that the stakes are high as far as being able to uh, deliver quality, you know, superior results. Otherwise, you'll be quickly uh, pushed out of this area. And so, you know, again, there's a lot of great surgeons here in Beverly Hills. I know there are in multiple uh, other areas, major metropolitan areas as well. Um, but what we'll do is we'll kind of go over, you know, some things to consider on why you should direct your focus on having your procedure done at home. And, and the stuff that we're talking about is is not stuff that we're, you know, this
1: isn't hearsay. This is actual, there, there are a lot of, papers that have been done that have taken literally their questionnaires, for example, of patients that have gone away um, and have had surgery and they see what their experience was like. So, and we'll go over what some of these things, you know, American Society of Plastic Surgeons came out with a uh, big briefing paper on this so they can educate the people in the US that are going elsewhere. Um, And also really took some of these studies and look at, for example, the most common complications you know they they say you go away what's the most common complication after surgery always pretty much infection and mm-hmm. if you're if you're not where you were and you go somewhere else and you're in transit you know let's say it gets a bad let's, let's say it becomes a really bad infection let's say you have bra- breast implants and they get infected and your implants infected and these are the kinds of things that you want to be right where your doctor is your surgeon is so you can go in and have them see it but if you're not there you go to a new facility well then that causes another problem because the person who sees you doesn't know what the other person did mm-hmm. so there's a lot of different things that can go wrong and again now we're going to kind of just take you through step by step all the things you should look out for so
0: let's say vacation related activities uh, obviously are not going to be a part of uh, of having surgery as Dr. Daniel had mentioned so the idea of you you know uh, you know going to the beach, uh, swim, snorkeling, jet ski, parasailing, uh, taking extensive tours or even exercise after surgery, this is not something that you are going to be privy to just because we want you to heal the best and and that should be that way for any surgery that you undergo. You know, the goal of most major surgeries is not to lift anything heavy over 15 pounds for the first six weeks, depending on what you're doing and and the body part. So if you're going to get a tummy tuck somewhere, uh, the last thing you're going to do is go on a walking tour and, uh, you know, you obviously are not going to exercise, swim. And the other thing is you're not going to drink alcohol. I mean, the, the idea is we want your body to be as quote unquote clean as possible. We wanna you know, give you the necessary nutrients to heal as quickly as possible and as well as you possibly can. So we avoid things. We take caffeine out of your diet. Uh, you know, we take anything, you know, sometimes people go on a long walk and you start aching and you take ibuprofen. Well, you know, a- ibuprofen, Advil and aspirin are completely a no-no during, you know, in the perioperative period. Um, you know, as far as going into the water at all, that's not going to happen because your incisions will uh, essentially, you know, fall open, and so you know any vacation-related activity is just unrealistic. Absolutely, and then moving along, you know, and I
1: just brought this up, but combining travel with with surgery really significantly increases your complication risk. Okay, well, now you're going to turn around and say to me, well, you just said people travel to you all the time. Well, why is that okay? Well, here's why it's okay. Here's why it's okay. If you do it the right way, it can work. Okay, so the, again, these are all based on studies. These are all based on real recommendations from the society and from the board that we're a part of. And really what happens is because you're sitting on a long flight, your chances of developing clots in the lower extremities or even a pulmonary embolism is much higher in the immediate you know, perioperative period, so immediately after surgery. However, that risk goes down significantly and depending on the procedure. So this is basically how it works, okay? So before flying, it is basically, the, the American Society of Plastic Surgeons suggests waiting five to seven days after body procedures, such as liposuction and breast augmentation, and seven to 10 days after cosmetic procedures of the face, including facelift, eyelid surgery, rhinoplasty, and laser treatments. We stick by these. Um, We are, you know, it is a very hard and fast rule. There is no way around it. The reason for that is, doesn't matter how good you look if you throw a pulmonary embolism and God forbid pass or something goes really bad and you're on a plane and you, you, you're you short of breath. We want to make sure your risk goes down to very little, just like the rest of the population prior to getting on that plane. So people that come in from all over the world for us, we stick by those guidelines.
0: Even patients that are within the United States, we make them follow these rules just because you are in an inflammatory state for that first seven days. And the last thing we need is for you to You know, as you said, develop a clot in your leg and you take one step and it goes to your lungs and that's it. This is Dr. John Lakey at Forever Young. Hope you're enjoying the show. Dr. Daniel Poor, and I will be back after a quick break. I think... One of the main negatives for medical tourism when you go somewhere else for cosmetic surgery is that you don't have the appropriate, listen, it, let alone whether or not you have the appropriate anesthesia, you have modern instrumentation or, or, or equipment, properly trained surgeons. Who Listen, you found someone. Uh, obviously, it worked for someone else. But here's what happens. Let's say something goes wrong Let's say it doesn't happen there. You come back to the United States and your wound falls open or uh, stitches fall out or you develop a massive infection or something like that. Well, I can guarantee you that it's going to cost more for you to care for that than it will for you, the, the amount of money you saved in that operation. And let's say your insurance covers it. Let's say you have an infection, you go to the hospital and your insurance covers everything. If you scar poorly or you have a wound that heals, uh, you know, that's suboptimally, to revise it, again, all the money that you just saved flying somewhere else and, doing, you know, undergoing all of the travel, um, you're, you're easily going to make up for it in a revision. So the whole goal is to find... Someone who is qualified and credentialed here in the United States that makes it easy for you. If you have the discretionary funds to fly across the country and you want to find the best, and let's say you're from New York and you want to come out to Beverly Hills and you know that you're going to stay here for a week at minimum, well, then by all means do it. You know, you can find the person that fits you the best. But for those of you who you know you live in an area, obviously for some of the smaller towns, I would recommend uh, you know considering going to a larger metropolitan city. I think um, it's not that some of the smaller surgeon, smaller town surgeons are bad. It's just that in a larger city with the level of competition, usually for the procedure that you want, the person that that's all the person does. And so if you go to a plastic surgeon that does. Facelift, breast augmentation, liposuction, cleft palates, eyelid surgery, um, and and rhinoplasty, I... You know, again, they could be unless they're the best surgeon in the world. I've, you know, again, there can be that person out there. Um, those are going to be few and far be, between where they're good at everything. And I, if I was getting my nose done, I'd rather go to someone who that's that's all they do, or they do two procedures, or they're limited areas because, um, you know, uh, listen, if you came to me and said, "Hey, I want you to do your breast augmentation," if I didn't have Dr. Daniel Poor here. Uh, I don't know that I would, you know, necessarily, listen, do I know how to do it? 100%. Can I do it? And I think I can do it well, of course. But it's the nuances that go with it. It's the perioperative management. It's keeping up with the latest uh, data, research, and technology. It's knowing that I'm going to give you a particular medicine seven days before and one month afterwards to reduce your risk of capsular contracture. It's knowing that I'm going to use this new technology to tighten your skin on your breast, uh, to in order to prolong your results. The same goes for a rhinoplasty. If someone comes in and wants Dr. Daniel Port to do a rhinoplasty, I think uh, he yeah, would bad say idea. You, know, he, you know, the idea is you want to go to someone that is a specialist in that field. Absolutely, you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna
1: talk about something you said a, a minute ago about follow-up. Um, we're very. I want to say neurotic, about about our, our follow-up. And, and we see patients a lot. And we don't have nurses see them. We don't have PAs see, to see them. And I think you're very qualified if you're a nurse or PA. But we like to see our own patients that we operate on because that's the way we are, okay? And I'm not saying all plastic surgeons are like that. I'm not saying all practitioners are like that. But here's the thing. You have surgery else, elsewhere and something does go wrong, there's a big problem because, you know, I don't necessarily know what somebody in, let's just say, Guatemala or in Hungary or in Thailand did for this patient and now that they're having problems. And I'll tell you a perfect example. Um, This was maybe six or seven months ago. I had a patient that came in who had full body lip suction, a breast lift with an implant and a BBL, um, Brazilian butt lift. A lot of surgery in one sitting, but we do it. It's not a problem. And she came in and she was distraught and really, really unhappy. And I said, what's the problem? And she had drainage out of both implants, pus, and on the both buttocks, pus. Now, you know, I said, so did you try to contact your surgeon? Yes, many times. I couldn't get in touch with them. So right there. Right there is a big red flag. Mm-hmm. You went, you spent whatever time with this person. You you operate, they operated on you, but you can't get in touch with them. I mean, what are you going to do? How are you going to take care of anything? They ge- oh, but they gave me post post operative instructions on how to do it. So, very long story short, I ended up taking care of her, and it literally took about a month to clear the infection out, to drain her buttocks and and wound care and so forth, so on. And at the end, she, you know. She looked at me and she said, I made a big mistake. I'm lucky that nothing else happened and that I found you and you helped me out. And, and you know, luckily, she didn't need major surgery to fix it. And, and it cleared up. Most of the fat that was placed in her buttocks ended up going away because it turned into an abscess. But the biggest and the most concerning part of all of that was she couldn't get in touch with the person who operated on her. That's a big problem to me. Mm-hmm. We are always accessible. Dr. Lakey and I can be reached in, in literally a minute through our service. Because again, we are liable. We, we once you do this surgery somewhere else and we care for our patients. Yeah, I mean that's Absolutely. Really, mm-hmm. we, we this these are our this is, we are responsible for these patients. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because there's no recourse for for most people that have medical tourism. Something goes wrong, it goes wrong you're done. You can't do anything. You can't go and be like, oh my God, Dr. Danielport, I really think that the right breast doesn't look as good as the left. Okay, I'll go fix it for you or whatever it is. That's it. It's done. So keep that in mind also. That's really, really important. Also, there's another thing. In the US, we have the strictest and most stringent guidelines as to how a device is approved and what we can use in surgery, what type of
0: implants we can use, what kind of fillers we can use, what type of lasers we can yeah, use. Yeah, you have no idea. It could be a well-trained surgeon, but you have expired implants in place. And uh, you have no idea because you'll get a, uh, you know, maybe a sticker, if anything, telling you the size and shape of the implant and things like that. and but you have no idea you know what if it is a second rate product um you know again i think you should easily be prepared uh to ask some of these questions absolutely one thing i would say you know again i i recommend or i i had said it earlier is that there are are definitely skilled surgeons everywhere and um, I think for the U.S., um, some of the main sites for uh, cosmetic medical tourism are Mexico, Costa Rica. Uh, we have people that are going to the U.K., and then we have people that are traveling to Turkey. Um, the interesting part, I'll just I'll I'll, I'll tell you, and, and there are skilled surgeons in each one of these areas, and I, I can give names, but. Um, there have been multiple surgeons in some of these areas where they have some of the best Instagram photos that we've ever seen. And it was so disheartening to find out that they were actually stealing these photos from other clinics, mm-hmm. on reputable surgeons, taking the watermarks off and oh, using yeah. it as their own. Oh, yeah. And the only way that these are being found are people trolling Instagram and saying, hey, wait a sec, that's me. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, wait a sec, Um, this one looks awfully familiar because I looked at my doctor's website and that was on there. Very true. And so, um, and the other thing that that we have noticed um, is that they are doctoring the photos. When you uh, can use, um, you know, Adobe Illustrator and things like that to hide scars and to, um, you know, paint over certain things, uh, you know, to raise a nipple that's asymmetric, you know, to uh, remove little contours of a nose. You know, we look at these photos in detail and that's why, you know, we're so stringent here. You know, most board certified plastic surgeons, we have standards of photography. And when uh, they're not in these areas, you know, I'll tell you, even recently, I fell for something. And I saw this Turkish surgeon who did these rhinoplasties. And I thought, oh, wow, these are phenomenal. I mean, I I don't even understand how they can be done. They look like like two separate people. So I sent it over to a good buddy of mine, uh, Ashkan Gavami, who's arguably one of the best rhinoplasty surgeons in the world. And And uh, I said, I I don't understand how he's getting these results. And he said, John, look at the photos. Look at the difference in depth. And I had completely glossed over it. The pre-photos were so much closer than the post-photos. So it gave this illusion that the nose was so much smaller that I fell for it. And I'm a trained plastic surgeon. Can you imagine what the layperson thinks? So... um, you know, again, I'm 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 not saying there aren't any skilled surgeons in any of the other countries. I do think that you have to be careful, and it's a little difficult to assess their training and, and credentials, just because they don't f- they don't mirror what we do here. Now, could you get lucky and have someone that was trained here in the United States and uh, you know is qual is 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 properly qualified, is board certified, and then they end up moving to one of these countries because that's where they're from, amen, you found it. That's, uh, that's the unicorn right there. But otherwise, um, I think that, again, my main concern, and we've said it over and over and over, my main concern, it would be like me flying to Turkey to undergo knee surgery and then coming back and having an infection. What's gonna happen? You have a surgeon who has no idea what was done, have to try to manage you. Or you go to the emergency room first, then you're referred to someone else, and let's say you have a complication, and now your knee's destroyed because you should have done it right the first time, or that particular facility didn't actually give you, you know, they they didn't have an accreditation like we do here. It wasn't as sterile as you thought it was going to be. They used uh, screws that weren't sterile, or something like that. You know, again, I'm 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 going on the outskirts here of what what the possibilities are, but. The goal is, I mean, the, the, the entire idea is: what happens if something goes wrong? I don't know that risking it is worth it. And and some of the things that we're talking about, um,
1: about you know the proper training accreditation, I want you to do the same thing in, in the U.S. as well, because there's a lot of fakers out here too. I hate to say this, but you know, make sure that whoever you go with. And I'm gonna in a, in a minute. I'm gonna talk to you about. You know a checklist that you should be aware of and questions you should ask. But make sure, first and foremost, that if you're having a cosmetic procedure, it is done by a board-certified plastic surgeon, okay? Not a board-certified cosmetic surgeon. There is no such thing. Please hear me out on this because this is one of the biggest. And some of the general surgery trained cosmetic surgeons, they're pretty good. I'm not going to tell you they're not, but they're not board certified plastic surgeons. And I am going to back my own people and the people that have put in the training. And I think they're the best that if something does go wrong, they'll be able to take care
0: of you. That's exactly it. That is that is the key right there. Uh, it's not that any of the other surgeons can't be great because they can but once you run into a serious complication you have to know that your surgeon can deal with it that's that that there's you have a respect for someone that you know that there's nothing you can do to ruin their results i you mean know, <laughs> how, how many people have you have we seen that have gone down again we we're,
1: we're, we're in california right we're in Beverly hills so a drive from here to tijuana is 3 hours okay you can get the same procedure that we charge I'm just going to throw a number out, let's say $20,000 for $5,000. And I promise you, I've seen so many of these Mm post-ops that they're like, I had this done, now I need to get it fixed. You know, they wanted it, you wanted to save some money and I get it. Sometimes it's really expensive. Um, I would rather go with someone that's earlier in their career, that's board certified Mm -hmm. in your neighborhood than or board eligible. (laughs) Or board eligible in your in your area, that's easy to see, that he'll he'll give you all he's got and he's gonna, you know, he's been trained to really I mean, trust me, you're much, much, much better off. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram. It's plasticsdocs, P-L-A-S-T-I-X-D-O-C-S on Instagram for more information. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will
0: be back after a quick break.
1: Now, if you do have a pen and a pencil and you're hanging out and you're not in your car, I want you to jot some of these down, okay? This is your cosmetic surgery patient safety checklist. And this is something that we didn't make up. This is something actually from our society, American Society of Plastic Surgeons. And it is a really good comprehensive checklist. We'll kind of go over it, tell you what you should think about and and make sure these are the things. And then we'll also give you a handful of questions that you should ask when you're looking to have cosmetic
0: surgery. First, do your homework, research the procedure benefits, the risks, and and know what you're getting yourself into. And if you need to, you can go to you know the 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 plastic website and you can look at some of the latest information on some of these procedures. Absolutely. Second of all, we talk about this on every
1: single one of our podcasts pretty much. Have realistic expectations. Don't think that you know you can do certain things that just aren't possible. And if you see somebody that's reputable, they will set those expectations. So just make sure you ask your plastic surgeons about how it's going to work out for you. You know, identify the pitfalls, identify the expectations, and the possible you know what's needed to recover.
0: Um, I would be informed. I mean, that's the next one. I would say. Uh, And I always offer this to patients who are undergoing rhinoplasty or facelift. I say, talk to some of my patients. I'll give you the name to someone who's been through the exact same thing. You have questions, go ahead and ask them. And listen, they're going to be honest. They'll tell you, all right, listen, it was a little uh, uncomfortable on this, this, and this day. This is what I expected. I had a little more bruising here. Um, You know, but I think it's a great opportunity. You don't have to take my, my word for it. Uh, talk to someone who's undergone the procedure.
1: And we have a lot of these patient advocates that have had it done before and they're cool enough to be like, hey, if patient needs to talk about the procedure, have them call me. Um, And it really is. It's it's one of the best ways to really get a good idea of what you can expect. Um, Moving on, you know, nothing in the world when it comes to cosmetic surgery is more important than being able to have it. Meaning you have to be medically optimized. Mm -hmm. You have to have zero risk medically, really, or very low risk medically to undergo a cosmetic surgery procedure.
0: It's elective. I mean, this Absolutely. is fun surgery, you know, for all intents and purposes.
1: Yep. So just make sure that if you're going to have it, whether it's in the US or in, you know, wherever, you need to be in in in, a, in the type of shape that cosmetic surgery is not going to be detrimental for you in any way for your health.
0: As far as some of the questions that you should ask, I mean, obviously... Um, you know, we'll we'll start with some that the American Society of Plastic Surgeons recommends, and then we can kind of throw in some of our own. But one that I think is really important, are you certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery? That's, yeah. you know, and if you're getting a facial procedure, are you uh, certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery or the American Board of Facial Plastic Surgery? And the answer should be yes, or they may be board eligible and you can find out, you know, how far they they are along in the process, but, uh, you know, ideally someone who's certified. And what this
1: means, it doesn't mean that they're the best surgeon in the world, okay? But it does mean that the check marks and the knowledge has been acquired, meaning that they've gone through the same thing that their peers have gone through to pass their boards to have the necessary knowledge to be able to take care of you operate on you and if something goes wrong be able to handle it and this is these are all very important things now unfortunately the one the only thing that i think the us has a little bit backwards is they don't have a more stringent guideline on who can actually do some of the procedures. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, this is something that we've talked about. You know, I've I've talked about this to a lot of people over the last 15 years. It doesn't make sense to me that a a, a obstetrics and gynecologist can go do a tummy tuck because I'll be honest with you, you won't want me delivering your baby. (laughs) okay and that's the key yeah Yeah. and that's you know and the problem is they're very interchangeable if i went to to a small town somewhere i can be your everything doctor Mm -hmm. i really could i could treat your ear infection i could deliver your baby and i can do your tummy tuck but realistically that's not the way it should be especially in big metropolitan cities that dr lakey was just talking about when you pick a surgeon again American Board of Plastic Surgery, American Board of Facial Plastic Surgery, that way at least you know they've gone through everything and whatever they're going
0: to do for you, they've done before. How many of the procedures have you done before? I mean, this is a, it's a straightforward question. And, you know, I think most people are, they're pretty honest with you, if you're especially board certified guys. I mean, listen, we always want to pad our numbers and think we've done more than we have. But in all reality, the difference is if I've done five of these versus 500 of these, um, you know, you're, you're going to know just by the number of before and afters on their site, um, you know, and their level of confidence. Um, you know, I think that's, that's easily going to show depending on, and and listen, if something is too complex for myself, I know that I can refer it out. I, you know, again, I, I think we learned long ago that, you know, a, a, a good plastic surgeon knows when to operate, but a wise plastic surgeon knows when not to operate and so that 's the difference Very and true. Um, and so in the beginning of your career, you think you can tackle the world and take everything on and after a while you realize you know you you know what your strengths are and you know where um, you know other people may be better and it's interesting you know when you talk about the numbers um
1: in one of malcolm gladwell's books he talks about 10,000 hours yeah. um, and, and to become an expert in something. And if you think about it, 10,000 hours is a lot, right? We've done so much more than 10,000 hours <laughs> um, when it comes to residency and training and then practice. And that's what you want. You want someone that just continuously does the same thing over and over and over and over and over again because they know. They know when they see a nose that what, what they can expect or where they, you know, so, so it, it is important. I think asking them, hey, how many of these have you done? You know, show me some before and afters. I think it's a great idea.
0: Um, next question I think should be, what are the risks involved with the procedure and do you have hospital privileges? You know, let's say something goes wrong. What is plan B? You know, listen, we always, if you're 18 and uh, you're completely healthy, I totally get it. Um, You know, but listen, as we get a little older, let's say for someone who's undergoing a facelift, if I'm uh, operating on a 65-year-old that, listen, just has hypertension, but otherwise spunky and alive and, and, and medically clear, but God forbid something goes wrong, what happens? I call nine one one. Send them to the hospital, and then should I, I should be able to see them there at that hospital, right? I don't want someone else to take care of them. So I think that's uh, you know pretty important, especially here in California. Absolutely.
1: Um, next next question: Where and how will you perform my procedure? And if it's in your surgery center, is it accredited? And what is the accreditation? Guys, these these little things are important. If you if you only knew what we have to go through. Um, to continually reaccredit our surgery center. Obviously we want it to be up to par because that's, this is our baby, right? We're operating on people there, but some people may not care, you know, care as much. So just make sure you ask them that as well.
0: Um, one thing that's pretty important is you can say how are complications handled? I think in an ethical practice, most surgeons will say, look, at the appropriate time, I will fix any issue. And uh, you, you know, I think most ethical plastic surgeons will say, "Listen, I'm not going to charge you a surgeon's fee, but you'll likely be able, you'll you'll likely be responsible for the operating room and anesthesia." I think that's reasonable. Um, you know, regardless, things happen, complications can occur, uh, patients' expectations may not be met. These are all things that can happen uh, because. This is a multifactorial process, you know? And so you have to, we set expectations. We try to meet them as best we can. The majority of the time they're met. Occasionally they're not. And, uh, you know, and and at that point, obviously I feel responsible to, at least on my part, not charge anything, but um, we still have to pay for the anesthesiologist in the operating room. Agreed. Um, Something that's just really kind of
1: common sense is, and this should be spoken with your surgeon is, what are the risks? Outline them to me. Tell me what I can expect. What are the risks? And most plastic surgeons during a preoperative visit before you have surgery, will go over all of this with you, whether or not they'll go over everything in detail in the consent form is it's one thing, but this is something that you should know. You should be very well versed on
0: what can go wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I think two things that kind of go together is, you know, how long of a recovery period can I expect and, uh, you know, will I need to take off work? If so, how long? And so you kind of, you need to plan the rest of your life around what you're having done. So for you to think, oh, listen, I'm a construction worker and I'm going to undergo a a big procedure on, on Friday and expect to go to work on Monday it may not necessarily be the case and i think there are a lot of people out there who'll say "oh listen you're going to be completely fine you want appropriate expectations for your recovery the entire plan you need to know what to do to help expedite but you're to know your limits
1: yeah i mean and and this checklist should really help you again i know we were we're talking about medical tourism um, on this podcast So if you do decide, let's say you do have a good friend that went and got a breast dog in in Colombia. There's some excellent surgeons there. I've seen some of the work and it's really good. Just remember that, yes, most of the time, um, everything goes fine. But if you're that number, if you're going to be the actual, (laughs) the small percentage that does have a problem, well, you're going to have to chase it and have to really do whatever you can to make it better. And here's the big and, guys may be something that for the rest of your life, you're going to be chasing
0: to try to fix.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's the key, you know. So you, you ask get,
0: some of these questions. Yeah. Ask some of the same questions you would for a US-based surgeon. I mean, the idea is, you know, aren't these all important? It doesn't matter where you're getting this done. You know, know some of these answers. Obviously, a few of them, you may not know whether or not it's true, Um, you know, as far as board certification and things like that. But as far as the rest, I mean, at least it's a start. And you know, with some of these procedures,
1: hate to say it, if it's done wrong the first time, it's really difficult to fix it again. And I say this to some people that have breast augmentation that develop recurrent, recurrent, recurrent capsular contracture because maybe the first surgery just wasn't right. Or a rhinoplasty where they over-resected and they took way too much out. It's harder to fix. You have to go get... Rib, and then you have to take the cartilage from the rib and and rebuild the nose. Bad liposuction, hard to fix. Mm-hmm. Scars on the breast that aren't placed properly, hard to fix. I tell you this because, <laughs> unfortunately, Dr. Lakey and I have both kind of built this practice that has a lot of revision surgery. Where we do take on some very difficult cases. Sometimes I wish we didn't. <laughs> um, but a lot of them come from having surgery overseas. Or outside the U.S. So, if you're thinking of doing this, my opinion to you is there's so many good surgeons in the U.S. Just stick to the U.S. Um, but if, for example, you've got a place overseas and you want to stay there, well, it may change things. And just do these, you know, do your proper homework, ask the proper questions, and I think at least
0: you'll set yourself up for if something does go wrong, you'll be prepared. So listen, I hope you learned something today. Uh, I know we've rambled a bit on all of the different things to, to look for and potential complications and, and try to stick to some questions that educate you as best you can. So keep these questions coming. Uh, thank you so much for the feedback. Once again, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Poor. You can listen to us on the
1: iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Peace. from iheart radio forever young is a cavalry audio golden hippo production we are produced by brandon morgan josh windish does our editing and mixing
0: payment and i serve as executive producers along with dana brunetti and keegan rosenberger